Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe. And your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, it's Film Study with Tim McCusick. Another week down, another week closer to the playoffs. Uh, we're going to look back at the Ravens' victory 12 to 20 over the Tampa Bay Bucks. Ken McCusick, how you doing? I know you hate the way I say the scores. I read it the way <laughs> I read it. You know what? I read it the way uh, Google brings it up when I type in Ravens, and they All always right. they always put the visitor first. And I know you don't like that. You like you like the winning score first, loser second, right? So the way I've always been taught to do it, the way I always heard baseball scores and whatnot. I know people do it a bunch of different ways, uh-huh. but it is what it is. Either way, the Ravens won. Yep, that's the important part. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, you walk, we come out of that game, and we'll talk about 
what type of confidence we have after this game at, compared to the Chiefs game. But also, we've got to take a step back and look at the playoff picture today because they've taken a major step back in the playoff picture and nothing they could do about it. Yeah, despite the win, and, and we, we kind of knew this was a risk coming into the weekend, pretty much every other event played out negatively for the Ravens. Uh, the, the Texans, there's one exception. The, the, the Texans and the uh, Colts both pitched shutouts in their game and uh, won very handily, now look stronger than they did before. The Dolphins did get their seventh loss, but it was at, an, at the hands of an NFC team. So honestly, it, it had a dual value there that honestly has very limited total value for the Ravens. The Ravens need the Dol- needed the Dolphins to lose one AFC game the rest of the right. way. They lost an NFC game, which means they won the conference record tiebreaker from the Ravens, which doesn't really help them in terms of picking up a game in the standings. So they really didn't they effectively didn't pick up that game in the standings from the from the loss to Minnesota. So right. the Ravens still need Miami to lose a game if they're gonna if they're gonna potentially take them at a tiebreaker. Or sorry, if they're gonna potentially beat them and, and get in at nine and seven. Right. I like to I like to think of this as well, just a couple weeks ago, we didn't think we were making the playoffs at all. Or I guess six weeks ago we didn't think we were. Now we look at it and we're like a few weeks ago we thought we would have to win one of either Kansas City or uh San Diego. Well, we didn't beat Kansas City, so clearly Saturday is a must-win. That's true. They've had uh, I, what I would call very impressive defensive performances against three top-ranked offenses these last three weeks, against Atlanta, against Kansas City. They obviously played well, not well enough, but they, they did a lot of things right defensively that had not been done to not been done to Kansas City the year and held them to their lowest point total of the year. And then they just did it again to, to Tampa. So there's lots of things to like about what's going on. There's lots of things to like about the way they're keeping the ball and grinding out first downs and doing those positive things. Unfortunately, they just don't have very much to show for it in terms of advancement towards the playoff playoffs, despite uh, despite winning uh, four of these five Lamar games. Right. And I think I, I think I just called this game the San Diego game. It'll be the L.A. Chargers now. I will forgive you for every occurrence of that and probably match you or raise I mean, in terms of the number of times I've San Diego. Of all the teams moving around, that's the one that confuses me the most. It, it, it's confusing, and you know what? The mayor of L.A. has already kind of publicly stated that they don't want them there, so uh, they may be headed back to San Diego anyway at some point. Well, right, because they had the Rams. They don't need two two teams. That's what the mayor says, and the NFL doesn't want just one team in L.A. I think that they've decided – they kind of don't want one team to have that good a market by themselves. Okay. That's a, that's an interesting approach, right? So they want to split those dollars between two franchises, which right. doesn't make sense because it's a salary cap league. Well, I, I, I don't know what really makes sense. I mean, L.A. is a very transitory market, but, but when there was talk about teams moving to L.A. again, the NFL put out a bunch of strict rules about nobody's going to do this on their own. You know, we're all going to vote on what happens right. here, and we're probably going to consider proposals which which will make two teams there, not just one. And and so they were obviously concerned as a group of owners. Nobody wanted to see Al Davis do something there again and jump in, or there there were other risks as well. Uh, and then Stan Kroenke of the of the Rams bought the land there and really made his move, and and uh, and then the league really had to accommodate that in some way. And then having the Chargers move there as well seemed like the best idea to them at the time. Right, but I mean. We've had two teams there in the past. We lost two teams, and now they got that's two right. teams back. Yeah, that, that's that's right. We see what's happening to the Chargers right there now. 
Um, I, first of all, I think in part, the L.A. fans who should have been Chargers fans anyway, because, hey, that's the local team when L.A. didn't have a team, right? They should have become Chargers fans and been happy about the Chargers move, more happy than about the Rams move. But for whatever reason, the Rams are still the L.A. Rams, maybe to some folks, and they're happier to have them back than they are to have the Chargers, who you know were never disloyal to Southern California in general. And uh, and they really do treat them like the redheaded stepchild in terms of of you know the stadium right. they put them in temporarily and the uh, support they've given them locally. Right. So you're saying if the Orioles move, I'm supposed to be a Nationals fan? Uh, you know, I I, I won't map fan, that. Fandom is confusing. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, this all leads up to my my kids make fun of me because they're not sports fans, but they're around my dad and my brother enough and my brother-in-law that they'll hear us talk and they know that we do this thing where especially about halfway through the Ravens schedule or if it's division games we're always talking about how this is the most important game of the year (laughs) and there's lots of most important games of the year so they make fun of us and say they're all the most important game well this Saturday really is the most important game of the year it, it certainly is at this point. The, the two weeks from now, hopefully, they'll be playing another most important game <laughs> exactly. of the year in the first round of the playoffs. But this is almost an elimination game in and of itself. They have a very, they have a couple back doors we can get to in a moment. But basically, they, they need to win this game, uh, win their next game as well, and then that really keeps the destiny in their own hands. Almost, they still actually can be excluded from the playoffs at ten and six. We'll talk about that briefly as well. Right. But they they're almost guaranteed a spot at ten and six at this point. And uh, uh, the the more the bigger risk was that the Dolphins were going to win out. That was one thing that the Dolphins win did for them is it gave the Ravens an avenue to an outright uh, uh, defeat of them uh, by finishing at ten and six. So that was nice. But uh, in any case, the, the, they now can still, if they get in a tie with the Texans and either one of the Colts or Tennessee uh, were to win their last two games and take the division, then the Texans would drop into second place, would be at 10-6, and six, and the Ravens would lose to them based on strength of victory in all likelihood. Now, it would fall to strength of victory, we know, Currently, the Ravens have a half-game lead in strength of victory, so we're talking about this a little bit further than I expected to. But down the stretch, in the remaining games that exist between these two teams, the the teams they have beaten, the Texans have beaten a higher quality and more contenders, and they'll therefore have a more likely chance that those teams will win down the stretch. So the Ravens... Their big game that they, they, they need to win the rest of the rest of the way is for Tampa Bay to beat Dallas. And I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of game I want to be banking my playoff future on is a meaningless game to us between two NFC teams where right. we've got the weaker, weaker, uh, weaker sister. Right, right. So, I mean, what the Ravens got to do is just win. And win is, is, is how they get in, um, even when it's a tough game like San Diego. That's that's right. I mean, San Diego's a, a team. I don't uh, right now after the way they played against the Chiefs on the road against the best quarterback in the game. I don't think there's a reason to believe they cannot go to San Diego and beat an aging Philip Rivers. He's still very good, uh, but he's not as good as Mahomes, and the rest of his team is not as good as the Chiefs, in my opinion. 
Uh, they're probably they're a better defense than the Chiefs, and that's that's the most scary thing about the Chargers is they're more balanced. But I think in terms of charging, uh, sorry, stopping the Chargers' offense, the Ravens are in a better position to do that. Right, um, but you're right. This the key. Then the scary part is that this is going to be the toughest defense that Lamar and company is going to face. Yeah, it's certainly that he has so far. I think the Browns will also be a fairly tough test for Lamar because they have a lot of individual star talent and whatnot. But but the you're right. The San Diego is is the team that has the most balanced offense and defense. They you know are fifth, sixth, seventh somewhere in there in terms of stopping the run this year. So they've been effective at it. Now some of that is because in terms of yards per game and and whatnot. Because San Diego will typically have pretty good offensive output, other teams are forced to catch up and play pass with them. Gotcha. Uh, so, so some of that is is in enforcing the pass. But they are also pretty decent at stopping the run. They're they're uh, uh, you know an athletic defense that's uh, that's pretty good. And they have Derwin James, of course, who's a who's a playmaker. Never uh, heard of can, him. Yeah, they range all three levels to make plays. Right, um, and I can't wait until tomorrow night when we're talking about the offense, because I think I'm starting to understand the way Marty's calling this offense, and I'm excited for the game plan going into San Diego. Um, anything else we need to talk about with the playoff situation in the Ravens? Um, th- there is a small back door. So if you're wondering what you need to root for this weekend, because you know what you root for is going to determine the outcome of these games. But you're at a tailgater on Saturday in San Diego or in LA. Hopefully you're in the right, you're in the right city. So that's one for me. You're, you will want for Washington to beat Tennessee in that early Saturday game. That's one of the real key games. So the, the Ravens have two ways to get in. And here's the here's the first is Washington beats Tennessee in week 16. Tennessee then turns around, beats Indianapolis in week 17. That'll make Tennessee the representative that competes for the wild card from the AFC South, assuming the Texans win a game, which they I'm sure they will. Miami loses one of two games so that they they end up with eight losses. And then the Ravens will beat Tennessee in a head-to-head matchup uh, comparison for that last wildcard spot at 9-7. and And then the the Ravens can get in by just beating the Browns and not having to beat the Chargers, or beat the Chargers and then lose to the Browns. Either one will work for them to get into the playoffs that way. So it gives the Ravens an extra avenue to get in. And then possibly number two, and you really hope you're not down to this, is that they'll have to root for the Steelers to lose the last two games while the Ravens beat the Browns. And, uh, and that is another way. And, of course, that is the bigger payoff to win the division. If you're looking at how do the Ravens win the division from here, there are four games remaining Pittsburgh that matter. Pittsburgh has two. The Ravens have two. The Ravens need three of those four outcomes to be wins for them or losses for the Steelers uh, in order to uh, take the division title. So it's it's certainly possible. Right. they got to win uh, both. Pittsburgh lose one. That's exactly right. And, and it was four out of six before this, and it looked like, you know, that, that – New England game was going to be the great hope that was going to make it then be the yeah. Steelers who couldn't who couldn't push in these last two games and we need three out of four but we're uh, uh, you know now in the disadvantageous position and and have to take three out of four right because the Patriots for some reason forgot how to score points yesterday that was ugly um, all right and of course there is a slim like three percent chance that we can get a division and a playoff by if if like 12 different games fall into the Ravens' favor. A lot of things have to happen, yes. Right. Um, all right, so let's look back. Let's get into this Tampa game. Let's talk about the defense. And let's start with the pass rush. This is, Ravens have been doing well. It was a rainy Sunday. You, that's got to fall in favor of the pass rush, you would think. 
Yeah, I think I think the typical wisdom is that the pass rush is slowed down by rain. Uh, okay. that it's harder. It's harder to dig in. Harder to be fast. Uh, harder to be as reactive as you need to be to a quarterback who's trying to be elusive when you've got some wet turf to run on and you might slip and all those all right. things. But but the if you look back to the first game of the year, the Ravens secondary had a lot of created a lot of coverage sacks when the defense was still able to get after the quarterback and and sacked uh, the combination of Peterman and uh, and uh, I'm gonna forget the name now. But anyway, the the, the two Bills quarterbacks in total six times in that game. I was expecting a fairly active pass rush in this game, frankly, against Winston. He'd been sacked four times in each of the last two games, but the Ravens did nothing of the sort. They basically played what I call Star Wars trash compactor defense. They basically put him in his cage and allowed him to make his own unforced errors with very little pressure. So they had 26 times they dropped back in this game. The Ravens only created a pressure event on nine of those plays. There were three where the ball's out quickly, another 14 where he had ample time and space. So that's 54% ATS. If you've been following that regular, that's a, that's a fairly high total of ample time and space. That's him getting a three-second pocket with room to step into his throw. Right. And you would think that under such very fine conditions, he would do better than his 7.8 net yards per play that the – actually, it's not just him. It's him and Fitzpatrick had average for the year. It's the most productive passing offense in the NFL. And – they did not do so. They they Ravens held him to six uh, net yards per play, which is a good improvement on that. What's worse, the Bucks converted just three of their ten third down situations. Also, they went 0 for 1 on fourth down on that last offensive play of the game. And the Bucks came in with the highest third down conversion rate in the entire NFL at 48.7%. So that was an exceptional defensive effort from was- the Ravens in this game. Do you think they approached this different and didn't just go after him because Winston can run and can move around? Yeah, that's a really good point. They, they did not let him escape for a gain anytime. Winston, I believe, had two carries in the game. One was a quarterback sneak for a yard, and the other was a kneel. So he didn't run from the, from the pocket. Right. He didn't scramble from the pocket at all. And, and that was a big part, I think, of what they really wanted to do to him. And I think the quarterbacks who have that as a second option – tend to also be the quarterbacks who tend to be bothered by being in a pocket with ample time and space. Like they, they, they have an internal clock, they start to get happy feet, and they think they should be leaving the pocket when there's really no need to leave the pocket because the pocket's just fine, but they get uncomfortable with that. I noticed that's something that the Ravens have been successful in the past using it on Tyrod Taylor, and maybe it's something we see it's, against Baker Mayfield next week. Well, that's or, in two weeks. Yeah. Um, is that a difference, obviously, than how they handled Kansas City because Patrick Mahomes was clearly more comfortable when he would get out of the pocket as well? Yeah, well, they, they pressured him. I think, right, you know, honestly, did. I think this, this plays to the same theory is that they pressured Mahomes, they made him move him around, and Mahomes wasn't bothered by it at all. I mean, he moved around at, at will, right. reestablished a pocket wherever. Even when he didn't have a pocket, even when it seemed like we were about to get him, they, they you know he moved around again, they made a great throw, and... Didn't necessarily have to look at the play, you know, whatever it yeah, was. He, right. was, he, he was can throw behind his back with his eyes closed. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's really what it came down to. Mahomes only had 27% ATS. Um, the Ravens did hold him down in terms of net yards per pass from his season average, but uh, uh, they did not. They were not as effective as they were against Winston. Right. They really shut down Winston. Gotcha. By the way, if you, if you look at the, the yards on this, Evans is their best receiver, and he's a, he's a first-round draft pick from a couple of years ago. Um, he had four catches on nine targets, which isn't great to start with, but four for 121. That was 78% of their passing offense was those four passes. 
78% of their passing offense. So the, nobody else had a catch for over nine yards in the game. So they really they shut down everybody else, and they did a heck of a job, honestly, versus Evans himself uh, in this game. Right, and yeah, part of that had to be the weather because especially that first half when it seemed like it was really raining, uh, receivers were dropping balls left and right. It was there was some nasty weather, as I think that that uh, you know there have been drops anyway. Uh, it's not supposed to be that bad for the passing team when the ball is a little wet. When the ball's a lot wet, it can be a bigger problem. But remember, mm-hmm. the official keeps the ball dry right until a snap. Right. Okay. Then then the ball gets thrown or held in the pocket for a couple of seconds. And, you know, maybe the ball so is saying, for a total of 15. It doesn't get wet enough to outdo whatever gloves they're wearing. I, I wouldn't think so. And, and you know, Joe Theismann always used to say he liked for the ball to be a little wet because it was more tacky and easier to throw. Okay. And I think on the other end... It might be a little bit harder to catch, but if it's a lo- if it's a little easier to throw and a little harder to catch, you think you got a balance there, and you you probably are in a good situation. So I I, I don't I'm not sure it was really the the receivers as much as it was the Ravens had a great game in the secondary, and the Ravens had a and, and you know it wasn't that Humphrey was prying loose the ball every down like he has before. He had a mix of different passes defense to this game. So did the Ravens as a whole. I I think it was just they made Winston very uncomfortable to pocket, and he, and he generally was a little off-target in this game. All right, well, let's get into that secondary because Humphrey had a great game. The whole cornerbacks as a whole had a, maybe their best game of the year? It, it was up there, you know, certainly. I mean, it's just, they, they shut down a very good offense here. They didn't have as many snaps that they had to do it on. But, uh, you know, let's start with Humphrey because he had one of the best games by a cornerback in team history. It should not be in any way understated. It's the best game of his career by far. He had four passes defense. He did have a penalty in the end zone that set up the, the one of their touchdowns. That was unfortunate, but they were they were a fairly good probability to score anyway. Um, but he had four PDs, and that's something that's only occurred approximately 25 times in Ravens history. I had the total in uh, calculated in 2013. It happened 17 times at that point. Uh, it hasn't happened eight times since then. I'm right. convinced of that. So, you know, it's it's less than 25 times this has ever been done. And it was a real mix for him of how he did it. So sometimes he was extending and getting the ball. And if you look at the fourth and four play, that's a that's a really remarkable extension to get to the football. Sometimes he punched the ball loose. He had one of those. And, uh, you know, he, he very strong-armed player. He was up in the face of Evans on another catch where he might not have even touched the ball, but he's credited with a PD, and it went through Evans' hands as well. I think he may have just distracted Evans on that play, which frankly to me is as important as getting a PD. It certainly has the same impact in the end. But I thought that he he really just did it every which way but loose. He made a great tackle in the in the backfield when he diagnosed a, a short pass, closed very quickly, took the took the running back down for a loss of one. Uh, just a, a whole lot of beautiful things happened there with Humphrey on the field. Uh, the other thing I just want to mention while we're on this is that the yep. Ravens' dime had a very cool kind of a day. So they, the Ravens' standard dime, which is their their primary pass defense, has three corners and three safeties. So that's the, that's what we think of as the Levine dime. And they actually played it twice with Clark and four times with Levine in this game. But those plays, they gave up six 
they had six plays, and they gave up 69 yards on those plays. That's 11.5 yards per play. And you wouldn't think that could possibly be good, but because they got the other team off the field, they got Tampa off the field five times in six tries and gave up a 64-yard play on third and 20, it was actually ended up being a pretty good trade-off for them. So they, they, they ended five drives and, and gave up one big play. That's exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about defense feeding off variance. It's much better to have a big variance in terms of you know zeros and 64s, for example, in this case, and, and to have five out of six of them work, even though the average yards are bad, than it is to have a lot of average plays. Obviously, it would have been terrible right. to have five to have six plays of 11 and a half yards. That would have been a lot worse. So uh, anyway, uh, just an interesting little illustration of that variance point I always make about defense. All right, that's cool. That's uh, something to, to watch for, of course. Uh, how about some individual guys? And I want to start with Weddle because there's been a lot of hatred of Weather Weddle this season, and it seems like he's not the guy that we expected this year. You know, obviously, it's been an up-and-down year for Weddle, and I would say mostly a down year. And the, the big thing missing from Weddle's game is his, ability, his playmaking ability. And the Ravens have leaned on that the last two years. He's had 10 interceptions uh, the last two years. I don't know what it is this year that's making it more difficult for him to get in position to make interceptions. I actually think it might be the defensive signal calling and the amount of moving around he's having to do is is making him a, perhaps a little less focused on being behind a play in the secondary where he really needs to be in order to often get that tip or react to a ball that's in the air and overthrown, whatever so what, it might be. So you're saying maybe he's too far up getting everyone else in place, that he's not back in position that's yeah, that th those responsibilities distract him from from being on the true back end of pass plays as often as he otherwise would be. Which is strange because it's him doing the defensive call and has been a huge positive from what we can tell. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's probably helped. I mean, Mosley's back and healthy now. Maybe it, maybe it's time for Mosley to take it over again. But uh, it it does seem you know the defense is playing well right now. You you don't mess with that and and. I guess you stay with it, but Weddle's own play is suffering from this, or, or, or is suffering. I, I don't know why right. it's, if it's suffering from this. Um, in this game, you know, there were two plays, and one of them he made a very good play. It was on the back end of bracket coverage on the interception that Humphrey made. And sometimes you can say, well, so what on that play? But what that did, by him being where he was supposed to be on that play, Humphrey was able to gamble and play for the football entirely underneath. Now, the ball happened to be underthrown where Humphrey didn't really have to take a risk to do so, but he, he, he was able to undercut that route because Weddle was in the proper position. So anyway, that, that, was, a, that was a good, good play by Weddle. Uh, you know, another one that was bad is there was a 40-yard overthrow for Evans down the left sideline, one of several incompletes to Evans. But on that play, uh, Weddle was in, in a deep cover one, I believe, on that play. Might have right. been cover two, but that, I think it was cover you're one. You're talking about in the first quarter, pretty early in the game. Yeah, and, and and he exactly right. And then he moved over on that play, and he should have been like tracking that ball like an outfielder. He should have been like a center fielder moving on that way. Has the best angle on the ball possible. Uh, he's effectively has to has to has to figure out the track of that ball, but he has the best view of right. it. No reason not to get an interception on that play. It wasn't a contested ball in any way, shape, or form. He just misjudged the ball and allowed it to go over his head. And it'd be kind of like a center fielder going to the gap, and all of a sudden the ball's six feet over his head and, and you know off the right. wall for a double. Yeah, it thing. looked like instead of following the ball, he cut towards the player. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that's that's what it looked. And there's some difficulty in judgment, but that's what the center fielder's supposed to do. That's right. why they call him the center fielder, damn it, because he's supposed to be able to track that ball. 
Yeah. Anyway, that that was that was the bad. But I think you know that that represents Weddle in an up and down fashion. He's not the kind of he never was really the great tackler uh, that uh, that he is. But he gets run over on the back end more probably than he used to. Other players that you know are are generally getting a little larger in the game are able to use their physicality more on him to get several additional yards after contact. Uh, you know, we saw some of that in this game with a with a fairly big back in Barber. Uh, taking him for a ride a couple of times. So anyway, it's a it's a uh, it's a position the Ravens are going to need to address. I think if the Ravens do go through a rebuilding stage this offseason, I think Weddle is likely to be one of the cuts, and they're going to really be looking to draft a playmaking safety because obviously they didn't do it this year. We need right. let us never speak of it again. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, how big of a deal was Tony Jefferson coming back? Well, you know, Jefferson, um, I thought, played generally pretty well, but I was disappointed with one play, and that's the the pass left for 64 yards to Evans because they were in a deep cover two on that play, and it was third and 20. Okay, if you look at the broadcast view, and I haven't yet got a chance to look at the all 22, but if you look at the broadcast view, you can't even see Jefferson or Weddle on the screen. So they're playing deep cover two, probably out by the sticks. When the ball goes that deep on that side, there's no excuse for Jefferson not be back and hopefully bracketing the receiver, but at least equal to the receiver. He's probably taking a bad angle to the play. And he was really trailing the play, might have gotten a late start to get over there. And uh, and Evans caught the ball in stride past Jimmy Smith and without any help from, uh, uh, from Jefferson. So that was an unfortunate play. But I thought Jefferson otherwise played pretty well. Uh, they, they really do value him coming back and being able to, to backstop whatever the linebackers do. Uh, to try and make plays in the run game. Uh, I think he's he's still pretty darn good at covering a tight end. Uh, and, and, you know, this will be a big deal as they go a little further. They've got Gates this weekend, who's an older player, obviously, but is still a favorite target of Rivers. And that's that's a good use of Tony Jefferson, is to try and put him man-on-man on, on Antonio Gates. In the in the postseason, they, they may well have to face Gronkowski at some point, and it would be nice if Jefferson could be the guy to cover him. They may they may need a double, but but he he could be a guy that you put on him one on one. So they've got a lot of good potential matchups for him the rest of the way. He's he's certainly came with the reputation to be able to cover tight end. He's generally been pretty good at it. Uh, I, I do want to see him do more of that specifically as opposed to being used on the back end. Gotcha. All right, I'm going to trick you a little bit here. Instead of looking at a Raven, uh, how about how the Ravens did against former Raven Ryan Jensen? Oh, okay. So. Tough, tough day for Ryan Jensen returning to, to Baltimore. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people didn't want to see him go. And, and they really wanted the Ravens to pony up the money to, to keep their, their center. Yes. Uh, who, you know, really just emerged as a star last year in, in place. But the Ravens gave him a very tough time in this game. So all three of the Ravens' interior defensive linemen made plays against him. Pierce beat him for a quarterback hit. He also beat him for a separate pressure. Once he actually beat him with speed. Another time he beat him with the bull rush. Uh we had Urban uh, got a holding flag drawn on him that negated a 16-yard catch. So that was that was obviously not what he wanted. And Brandon Williams made a, a couple of really nice run plays against him. Once uh, uh, to blow up Barber for a gain of one, and the other time, uh, which was the big play in the, one of the big plays of the game on third and one, he beat Jensen inside for a loss of three to set up that Bucks last offensive play, which was fourth and four, and then the Ravens ran the rest of the clock out. So. Uh, Jensen had a very tough game in his return, not uh, not what I'm sure he wanted to have in, in coming back to Baltimore. All right. Uh, one more for you. Peanut Oswazner. I'm sure I got the <laughs> name wrong. I can't say last names. I like when guys are named Smith 
and Jefferson yeah. and uh, just uh, Weddle. I can handle those. So <laughs> yeah. I, that's why I'm setting up peanut for you. And that, that sounds really good. So I, I think that's Harbaugh's advice also. If you if you can't say Owasso, then just go ahead and say peanut. And I may be saying it wrong too, by the way, but that's the way I've come to come to learn how it's said. But that's fine. Uh, if you say I've learned if you say it with confidence, only a few people laugh at you. That's 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 correct. So a confident confident wave gets you into almost any building, right? So it, anyway, he he had 19 snaps in this game. Uh, he had a shared a, a fraction of the sack with Mosley. Uh, he had a nice takedown of Barber for a gain of one, and he and probably his biggest play of the game was he knocked down the third down pass by the right pylon, which forced a field goal attempt. So they'd given up that 64-yard play, and his play knocked the ball away, and they forced the field goal attempt to, to get him off the field finally. And uh, that, that was one of the really nice plays of the game to make sure that, that uh, Tampa didn't take a bigger lead or take a lead until halftime. All right. Uh, let's get to the MVPs. We've probably already talked with these about these guys, but let's run through our MVPs for the game. If you don't mind, I want to go back to one other topic oh, that sure. I want to hit on today, and I, I know I forgot to put this in, so I just I'm taking you off topic here. But the Ravens had a couple of substitution errors here in this game that I thought we were past, but apparently we are not. So they had 12 men on the field again at one point in the game, and I, I, I encourage you to go out to Russell Street. There's a picture of it out there. Um, they've got seven defensive backs out on the field, and they've got their normal five-man pass rush unit, and they, they were forced to call a timeout. And that came uh, in the first quarter at 9.08, if you want to go look at the play. Um, but it's uh, something that it's, – it's really hard to figure how they got in that spot. But then when you look at the way they played the dime defense, they played one with four corners and two safeties and one with three corners and three safeties. But they decided to try the one that had four corners and three safeties, and you can't play that with with five other defenders. That's uh, that's twelve total. So they had to call timeout, and uh, and that was unfortunate. The second substitution error was really a nice play by Levine, but it was a boneheaded play by another player who, unfortunately, I'm afraid, could end up in the doghouse over it. The Ravens lined up to punt on third and th- sorry fourth and thirty six, uh, and I forget it was in the third or fourth quarter, but. They just had a big negative drive following Humphrey's interception, which set him way back. A couple penalties, a, a uh, uh, most notably an intentional grounding call that cost him 17 yards. Anyway, they got back in this in this fourth and 36 hole, and all of a sudden they only had 10 men on the field for the punt. And Levine, the personal protector who's responsible for counting the players on the field, obviously counted up correctly. There's only 10 guys on the field. At first, he points with his left arm down. To, to the left side because there's somebody missing over here. Then he, he put up a stop sign to Cook behind him who looked like he was almost calling for the ball because he saw the, cl- the clock was running out. And they what they decided is that they weren't going to take they weren't going to take a timeout there. Instead, they were just going to lose five yards, which doesn't matter that much, of course. Timeout might be more valuable. And fortunately, Levine was on the field and smart enough to just say, don't do it. Don't, don't snap the ball. Wait. Lose the five yards. And then okay. sheepishly sheepishly <laughs> at that point Bowser came onto the field to take his spot as the 11th punt coverage right that's when they were already deep they it was already fourth and, and long and then they yes. they tacked on another five yards and they I didn't really pick up what had gone on to get them the why they took that I thought they just weren't ready but it's all right you're, you're not alone. The announcers couldn't figure it out either. They were like, maybe they had some special fourth and forty-one play they were looking to run, but uh, <laughs> right. but it was a it was a missing player on the field. And I thought that 
Levine did a good job of quarterbacking the punt team there and making sure that they didn't make a big error. Obviously, you punt the ball away, you might you might give up a return there because you got right. one too few. Worse, because you only got one extra wing guy on that side, one extra offensive lineman on that side, you might give up a block. So you know, there's, okay. a, there's multiple choices, <laughs> chances for things to go wrong. I don't know if they figured it out. Uh, the, the Bucks, that is, but they did have only one guy on each of the Gunners, so they so they had what I would call the maximum normal punt blockers set in to go. So you have you'd have three back and eight rushing the rushing the punter. So they did look like they were set to take advantage of that. Had had the Ravens actually tried to punt, and uh, and obviously good play by Levine to to make sure that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, but of of course. Uh... As long as we have NFL football, you'll have coaches that are wasting timeouts. It, it just <laughs> <And> happens. <laughs> right, right. Um, all right, now let's get to the MVPs. Okay, sounds good. So you're going to play along since it's a win, too? Sure, I'll play along. It's a win. It was an ugly, ugly not, not the prettiest win, but I've got some MVPs here. Oh, beautiful, beautiful win from my, from my way of thinking. Well, but yeah, that's okay. a, a win's a win. <laughs> Especially right. this late in the, in the season. You know, the other thing is, Josh, before we get into this, it's a formula win. I mean, it's exactly the way the Ravens are supposed to beat a team like the Buccaneers. They they stymied their pass offense. They beat them in a submission with their ground game. And they absolutely controlled the clock as if they were playing electronic football from right. the 1980s. All right. I mean, as, as we look at the defensive side, I will give that to you. Okay. I think there were some special team mistakes and some uh, offensive mistakes, which I actually – buy into that we'll get to on the next thing i'm all for the offensive mistakes i understand what you're doing all right but the special teams yeah. mistake was ridiculous that, that both of them were ridiculous yeah you're right so. okay so let's let's go we'll, we'll my number three guys awasu uh i explained the place but 19 snaps half a sack uh really nice pd at the at the pylon uh he's making the most out of what opportunities he's getting and uh my number three is the tampa bay buccaneers hands they struggled to catch the ball, and that helped us out very much. All right, fair enough. Uh, my, my number two guy is Mosley. We really didn't talk about his performance in this game, but he had a really nice, nice screen diagnosis earlier. He got the other half of that sack. Did a great job of containing um, uh, Winston in the pocket on that play. He was the only guy the Ravens trusted to blitz the entire game. He was three of the four. Blitzes were him. Tavon Young was was blitzed once, but they only blitzed four guys from off the line of scrimmage. So, uh, very good game. All his tackles were for short yardage. Didn't get exposed in coverage. Fine game for Mosley. Looks like he's healthy now and, and playing much better. He's my number two. Yeah, and a, it's interesting because a healthy Mosley is making an argument to keep him around next year. Absolutely. Um, and and let's let's keep the argument going as long as possible. I don't want that argument to be decided right. you know, in, in the negative sense. I agree. The next I agree. Six keep, weeks. keep making your case, Mosley. Uh, I'm throwing out the weather there. Somehow the Ravens, the 2018 Ravens, play well in crappy rain weather. And thankfully, a lot of their home games have sucked that way. Yeah, I know. It's been a, it's been a lousy year to be a season ticket holder weather-wise. Yeah. It's been a good year in terms of the play on the field. That's been good, but the, the weather uh, has kind of sucked. Okay, well, my number one guy's Humphrey. He's far and away the defensive MVP in this game. There, there are some other honorable mention guys that I could I could get to. It was a nice balanced defensive effort beyond those three. Uh, but uh, Humphrey, far and away the number one guy in this game, and I think we've talked enough about him that, uh, that we know what it was. Yeah, and my number one is Don Martindale because, again, like we were talking at the top, he mixed up the defense, 
changed it a little bit so they weren't pressuring as much and everything he seems to do with this defense seems to work certainly on a streak right now where that's true don't don't disagree with that one at all so all right uh, all right let's move on to the mailbag this is your turn to get in your questions and see if you can get in a question to stump ken or just get some more information and get your question Ooh, are we going to get some trivia questions or something here uh, what's up well my first question up is how familiar are you with cubase as a quarterback raiden I'm actually not familiar with All Cubase. right, so you might have to follow up on this on another day, but Bobcat wants sure. to know the difference between a Cubase and a QB Raiden uh, that we're, or QBR that we're used to because uh, with Cubase, uh, he lists Baker Mayfield as number one in this draft class and Lamar Jackson as number two in this draft class. In passing? As a, as a, or, or this is a, a Cubase that includes other factors? Anyway, I, it does, I don't know. I need to look into that. Right. Okay. It's 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 something I I'm certainly comfortable looking into and and why don't we make a point to bring up Cubase on an offensive podcast All right. at some later point not necessarily tomorrow night's one but but right. at some later point so see I told you someone was going to stump you it's right at the start Bobcat has stumped you with Cubase that's that's very good All right uh, let's see Mark wants to know is Marlon Humphrey a top five corner in the NFL. At this exact moment, I would say yes. I mean, he's obviously playing a little bit hurt. And this is playing hurt, by the way. Top end right. is really in great shape. So he's been nursing his way through this groin injury. One of the things that we didn't talk about is this. He did he did everything he did in this game. He only played 36 competitive snaps. And he, and he had four passes defense. He ended drives. He, you know, he's all over the field making plays. Uh, exceptional, exceptional game. Uh, he, he stood out last year in terms of a terrific quarterback rating against uh, this year, he's been burned for a couple of touchdowns, particularly early in the year, one to Antonio Brown, where he had outstanding coverage. I can kind of visualize it in my own mind right now. But uh, he's he's been a fantastic top-tier cornerback this year. And he's one of the guys, if, if, you're, if you're picking your cornerbacks for the playoffs right now, he's one of the guys I'd take. All right. Uh, how about tight ends? How would you handicap the odds of Boyle or Williams returning next year with the Ravens as they're both free agents? Yeah, you know, that's a good idea. And and the reason is this. The Ravens don't have an obvious blocking tight end. I think that Hurst came with some of that pedigree to him because he blocked some in line at South Carolina, whereas Andrews was really a flex guy who was really more out on the edge, and they use him to more like a receiver. But the truth of the matter is that, that Andrews is not really much of a blocker at all, and Hurst, we have— just does not seem to be the physical, have the physical stature of the other tight ends on the Ravens roster. Some of that's filling out, but I think some of it also is that they, he's more of a receiving tight end too. Uh, and so it would make a lot of sense to keep either Boyle or Williams. Boyle's been out of trouble now for a while, so maybe he's the guy. Uh, Max Williams has also been a pretty good blocker. Uh, Boyle, I think, is the better blocker. Max Williams probably offers a little bit more in terms of his ability to touch the football. So it'd be interesting to see if they if they decide keep one of those guys, stay still relatively young, Maybe it's a case of whichever guy they can get cheaper is the one they'd like to keep. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting, basically cap-related decision on whether they want to go to the draft or to the free agency or maybe keep one of these two guys as uh, as a tight end. All right. Mark wants to know how much value you put into the time of possession uh, stat, considering now that the Ravens are leading in the NFL and when you look at, like, the last three weeks – since with Lamar, they are just destroying time of possession compared to everyone else. Right. It's it's a natural okay. 
It's natural you're going to win time of possession when you're running and the other team's passing. So I love time of possession because it means that you're running because you're winning. But it doesn't always mean for most teams. <laughs> chicken, it doesn't chicken mean, and egg again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I love I love winning time of possession because in order to be able to run, you you typically as in the NFL team need to be ahead. Now the Ravens are challenging that philosophy and running all the time, anytime they feel like it, basically earlier in the game. So from that perspective, you know it's it's good and and certainly necessary that the Ravens are winning time of possession. It's more important, in my opinion, that they win overall snap count because that's where the the number of plays on the field are what are going to weigh more heavily on the opposing defense to create more opportunity for the running game and also are going to cut into, to a greater extent, the number of plays by the opposing offense. So you want to keep your defense rested and keep the keep the football for more plays, more first downs, rather than just more time. All right. Uh, Josh Hoffman gets in, and I like this question because until I did 336 tonight, I was on board with, with Josh with the same question. I've, my concerns have been uh, calmed down, but his question is, most games, Marty seems to get past happy for a spell. At least it happened in Kansas City in the second half, killing at least two drives, and sure enough, we lost time of, the time of possession battle. Is there a reason for this besides just trying stuff and any shot we won't do this in L.A.? Well... I think everything's on the table in LA because they absolutely have to have the game. So there's no, if, if they did anything strategically that was not directed towards winning this game, I think it would be a big mistake. One of the things that they said in terms of the first half of Tampa, and I think Harbaugh told the sideline announcer at halftime was that they tried to throw the pass a little bit or tried to use the pass a little bit more to see if they could get Lamar and the passing game going. Well, you know, this is not a test environment anymore. You know, we don't we don't have another control game we can use with this with this Chargers game. They have to win that game. So everything, all the scripted plays, everything they do needs to be to maximize their chance to win this game and not test what Lamar can do. You're going to have plenty of time in week in week 17 to do that if they lose this game to the Chargers. Believe me. All right, I've got another argument. I think, yeah, I think part of it is. They want to. They would like the off. They would like the passing game to take off so that defenses have something else to be concerned about. But I also think that they're passing early in these games because if you get if you can score first, then you can just control that clock. And I, I wonder if it's a try to get charge of the game and go up quick to then just control. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, obviously scoring first has tremendous value in any offense, it has more value when you have A, a great defense, or B, an offense that grinds out a lot of first downs, either one. The Ravens have both, okay? So it's very important for them to get the first score, and, you know, they've been successful when they've done it, and they've they've been good about holding the lead, the exception obviously being that Kansas City game. Right. But, you know, you, I, I, it's not that I, I disagree with that. I, I disagree with the idea that it's necessarily the most efficient way to get the first score. If the most efficient way is by running, then I do that. Sure. I think something could be said is that you, you're always running against a fresh defense when the game starts. You know, they all, everybody starts the game with zero snaps. Right, so and, they want to come at you. Yeah, they want to come at you, and they're, and they're in better position to stop the run at the start of the game. Just think of it this way, and this is where, this is where defenses really get worn down against the run. The defensive interior guys, those two guys or three guys, depending on what kind of formation you're in, it's usually going to be three towards the end of a game, are, are critically 
they have to be able to stand in there against double teams fairly frequently. And if it's one play, you can see Michael Pierce can overwhelm a double team personally. He could beat one guy. He could be on the shoulder of another. He can make it virtually impossible for two guys to block him one time. But he can't do that play after play. It just requires too much energy to do it play after play. He can't do it. So, you know, if you if you expand that to other players who aren't as dominant as Michael Pierce, or even if they are, you know, they're they're you need to have multiple plays of wearing those guys down, oftentimes with double teams, to get them in a position where you're dominating the game the way the Ravens did in the second half with their run game. And I, I think that's part of the reason why you might might want to pass more in the first half is that you have a you have you know a fresh set of defenders who are more able to stop the run. In fact, that's what happened in this game. They, they were really stopping the running game early in this game. All right. Uh, Donna wants to know, she's concerned about Terrell Suggs, that he looked slow out there on Sunday. Uh, what did you see regarding Suggs on Sunday? It wasn't one of Suggs' best games. He certainly didn't have a big pressure game uh, or anything like that. I mean, the Ravens as a whole were obviously not playing uh, to generate a lot of pressure. And I, I do not have my sheets in front of me, so I can't, I can't estimate that. But, uh, you know, he, it wasn't one of his best games of the season. Uh, and that's about all I have to say about it. He, right. he had a, a, a good game the week before against Kansas City. All right, maybe the weather was affecting him a little bit. Uh, Jalen jumps in again. Why don't the Ravens use more cornerback or safety blitz to be efficient at pass rushing? You know, that's an interesting idea. I think they use a fair amount of slot blitzing in Martindale's defense. Tavon Young forced one incomplete pass in this game with a pressure as one of the nine pressure events the Ravens created. Uh, and that was the only slot blitz they used. The Ravens, this version of the Ravens, with their fine outside corners, really don't use cat blitzes too often, meaning the outside uh, uh, corners uh, rushing to, to uh, you know, get a, uh, a sack. That's something that if you have a very good coverage, strong safety, like the Ravens had with Landry years ago, uh, you, can, you can have him fit in and uh, still have a decent coverage outside, uh, option on the outside and have McAllister or Samari roll, you know, rush the quarterback. And they, in fact, you know, produce some good pressure events in that season. Uh, the Ravens, I don't think they really feel like they have the good second coverage option at safety that would, that would make them feel secure on the outside if they rushed from the outside often. But they do rush a lot from the slot. All right. And then uh, Meg wants to know, how do you stop Gordon? So I think that's that's Miggy and and I'm sorry. Which Gordon are we talking about now? Uh, San Diego. Uh, Melvin. Gordon. Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon. Okay. Of of, uh, of the Los Angeles Chargers. I know he put SD. <laughs> he screwed okay. me up by saying SD. Uh, LA Chargers. Uh, you're not going to blame it on the guy. You got to put that LAC. <laughs> um, dynamic back. Uh, I assume that he'll be playing in this game and not sitting. Unfortunately, you know the the, the if the Chargers. Uh, it's a slightly different array of the way the season played out and the Chargers have lost to the Chiefs. Uh, they might be in a position where they wouldn't be playing for as much this week and would have a greater chance to sit Gordon. Right. Uh, you know, they, it, as it so happens, the Chargers are also playing this game for all the marbles. And so he will more than likely be playing probably on a pitch count and the Ravens will need to do all of the things that the Ravens have done well versus good backs, which means you got to be able to play the run with the nickel on the field. They've proven a good ability to do that. I'm sure that that's exactly what San Diego will try and manipulate them into is put three receivers on the field, 
get Melvin Gordon opportunities to run against the Ravens nickel, and we'll see how they how they handle that. All right, I saved Daniel's question for last because he is calling you out, Ken. He says, forget the percentages, forget the numbers. I want your predictions, Ken, straight up. In your opinion, do the Ravens beat the Chargers, do they beat the Browns, and do they make the playoffs? Yes or no? I know you hate predictions. I, really hate, like, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the, the 20 seconds why I don't like to do this. I think probabilistically. That's just my background and who I am. So I don't think in absolutes anyway, <laughs> one way or the other. But I'll give you – I'll do. I play your game your way anyway. I'll say the Ravens do go into San Diego. They do pull the upset. They come back home and they have trouble with the Browns. They struggle, but they do get it done. The Lamar Jackson – uh, myth continues into at least the first round of the playoffs and the Ravens unfortunately do not get a home game because the Steelers managed to win both games on the remainder of their schedule it's alright that would probably send us to like the Patriots and I wouldn't mind that I'd like, that to, I'd like to see Lamar go up against uh, New England yeah that'd, that'd be a great game for the Ravens defense too great matchup for the Ravens defense alright all right, there you go go to Vegas bet all your money on the Ravens <laughs> Ken, Ken has told you to hey, give me half give me half all right. Yeah, but don't take half if they lose. All right, Ken, what's up on Russell Street Report? I know you've got a few articles up there now, right? Yeah, a couple from this week already. So the tiebreaker article is up. The uh, defense article is obviously up there with more detail about this this game and a lot of the tabular data that you can you can right. enjoy if you're into tabular data. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Thanks for listening to the podcast. The defensive podcast will be recording tomorrow night. Get your offense. questions in for that. Sorry, the offense. offense will be tomorrow night, and the tiebreaker yeah. article is your playoff scenario. That's correct. So. Yeah, that's correct. So all that right. explains how the Ravens can get into the playoffs by all these weird backdoor methods, not just the division win. All right, and my uh, my plug is simple. Section 336, brand new episode out tonight. We talk about the Ravens and Lamar, and we talk about the Orioles having a new manager, Brandon Hyde, who got announced unofficially and officially in the past week. <laughs> How excited are you about this hire? I am excited about the entire process. The, what excites me about the manager is that it's not a old uh, rerun. It's a guy given an opportunity. It's a guy who came from a winning team and a guy who has bought into the system. Um, he said all the right things at his press conference today. Uh, Mike Elias called Brooks Robinson and talked to Brooks Robinson about the hire before making the hire which is, as a Baltimore fan, something you just love, even if it's just an emotional thing that has nothing to do with, with baseball. And, um, and Michael Ice was excited that Brooks was at the press conference, and he, he, he's a guy who like, was excited to see Earl Weaver pictures in his office when he showed up. Yeah. So that type of stuff, as a Baltimore fan, you got to love. And he's a player development guy and builds relationships with players and – that's what we're going to need. We're in this for the long haul. It's not a quick turnaround, and it's got to be something to be excited about. There's hope. So how, how old is Hyde right now? Approximately. He not is, that old. He is 45 years old. Okay, so that's reasonably young for for a manager yes. to start. You could, you could start younger. You could start in your late 30s. Yeah, but this but, is a guy who's – he was a player in the White Sox organization. He spent years with the Marlins and then many years with the Cubs. Okay. So, well, fair enough. Hopefully, this is the opportunity he's been waiting for, and he makes it makes it work. First time as manager, so he worked his way up. So, all right, Ken. Well, we will talk uh, probably tomorrow evening to break down the offense. All right. Take it easy.
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.